my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Eric Twiggs. He is a founding partner and president of the What Now Movement. His mission is to build high-performing entrepreneurs, authors, and career professionals who are prepared for life's unexpected curveballs. He is also the author of The Discipline of Now, 12 Practical Principles to Overcome Procrastination, this, uh, you know, after reading the title of his book, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get this guy on because uh, I need that. <laughs> um, but the discipline of now uh, just, was it released in 2020? No, it was released in 2017, but it was recognized in 2020 for this uh, award. Yeah. So uh, the discipline of now was recognized as a global top 10 finalist for the 2020 Author Elite Awards in the category of Best Self-Help Book. Um, Eric is also the host of a weekly inspirational podcast titled The 30-Minute Hour, and I think you're uh, consistently ranked in like the top 2% of all podcasts globally. Is that correct? Yes, we are. Absolutely. Yeah, that's freaking awesome, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, as, a, uh, as a certified life and business coach, Eric has conducted over 28,000 coaching sessions, helping executive leaders and entrepreneurs who have moved from feeling frustrated to finding fulfillment. He has also led organizations of 500 or more people in corporate America and shared his message with corporations, associations, and congregations across the country. Eric, thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation with me and uh, just sharing with my audience. Um, I've, I've really been looking forward to this conversation and uh, just really appreciate appreciative and, and humbled that you would come on my show. So thank you. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. It's an honor to be on your show. Look, looking forward to the conversation. All right, man. Well, let's dig in. Um, let's see. Uh, where were you born and raised and what were some of your early influences? So I was born and raised in Washington, DC. And I, I would say my earliest influence was my dad. And my dad's still alive. As a matter of fact, he's doing great, 85 years old. And uh, But one of the things that stood out was just his work ethic. You know, I just, I always saw him getting up and going somewhere. And like, if, if he's ever in like, let's say a church ministry or an organization, he's always president, vice president, very active in whatever he's doing. And I think that work ethic rubbed off on me. So when I started working earlier in my career, I just thought that's what you were supposed to do. And then I realized 
most people aren't wired that way. <laughs> you know, but I just came up that, that you're supposed to work, you're supposed to go hard. And I that was probably my earliest and, and most critical influence, my dad. What did your what did your dad do for a living when you were growing up? So so he's a he was a chemist in the federal government. So he had a government position, but he was working on like chemistry related things uh, within the federal government. Wow. So yeah, he went to the same building every day for 35 years. Wow. Something you don't see too much nowadays. Yeah, no, no. Right. So uh, you've got this great foundation. You, you grew up in our nation's capital with, I mean, like I know that it's, um there there's some rough neighborhoods around dc but there's also some really nice ones too and the the culture um that you're exposed to i mean i i love dc uh the the museums and everything is just uh, what was your experience like uh growing up there oh it was great you know i had my friends i you know it was a good time it well this could be good and bad. There's there's a lot of things you can get into, you know, as far as, I mean, nightclub scenes and things like that. And that's actually, it's interesting. That's one of the things that motivated me to go away to college because I, I didn't want to lose focus. I didn't want to just be someone that was just hanging out. So I, so I went away to a remote place uh, that, to force me to be able to focus. But now, I mean, I, I love the DC area. And I mean, that's why I'm still here now. I'm technically in the DC metropolitan area to this day. Wow. That's cool, man. Uh, so where did you go to college? I went to Hampton University. So it's about three hours and some change, two hours and 45 minutes if you're driving really fast. Um, <laughs> not that I would know anything about that. I'm just, just saying <laughs> if, if you were. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Hampton University, it's Hampton, Virginia. Great experience as well. Well, what did you what did you study? I, my major was marketing. Nice. And and after you graduated, did you go right into the marketing field? So for me, it, th there's something that happened at Hampton that really just changed my outlook. And it really is probably one of the reasons we're here talking now. So when I was at Hampton, I had this friend, I talk about this in the book. I had a friend, his name's Donnell. And I have to admit, in my college days, Donnell and I, we were a little different. Like he was all about his purpose and I was all about the party. <laughs> and, and so he would always say, man, Eric, you need to get serious and figure out what you want to do and all this. And I would say, man, loosen up. We're still young. Are you coming to the frat party with me or not? And several weeks go by, we don't talk. But then I get a phone call from his mother informing me that he was killed in a car accident. Oh, shit. Changed everything for me. And it really sent me a message that maybe we don't have the time that we think to do the things that we want to do. And that, that experience, I think about that every day. And it, that's really what got me on this path of focusing on overcoming procrastination, being, product, being as productive as possible, and making the best use of your time. I'm guessing that you have struggled with procrastination. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's <laughs> so for me, especially like in my college days, I, I wasn't really focused on like a clear vision. Like I, I didn't, I would, there wasn't a thing where I said, okay, I want to do that. 
Like I, like I knew I wanted to get into business, but they say, you know, you write the book that you need. <laughs> but uh, so, so my problem though, was I wasn't focused on a clear vision. And even after, after this happened with my friend, I thought the message was I need to go out and be as successful as I can as soon as possible. So, so I, I set out to do that. Right. I got in a, I worked for in corporate America. I was a district manager in the automotive service industry. And I got to a point where I had 17 locations. I had 500 employees working for me. We're winning awards for number one profit, most profit in the country and getting these accolades. And I'll never forget this. So there's one day in particular, I'm driving, I got my BMW, things are going great. I look in the mirror, the rearview mirror, and the eyes that were looking back at me were the eyes of someone who hated what he was doing. It was like I was successful, but I didn't feel like I was accomplishing anything that was significant. Yeah. And that forced me to really do a deep dive and try to figure out what, what was it that I really wanted to do. And what conclusions did you come to? Or was it, did that, did that realization evolve over time? Did you dabble in different things or did you like do that deep dive and go, aha, this is what I was meant for? Now, so it's interesting. And during that time, the hot career was pharmaceutical sales. And so a lot of my friends, people I know, they were getting into pharmaceutical sales and they're telling me these stories about they're, having, they're going on the golf course and having a great time and making this money. I, I went to a headhunter who, I guess he placed people in pharmaceutical positions. I figured, hey, I'll get in this pharmaceutical sale. That, that's what I need to do. That's it. And he challenged me. He said, look, Eric, I'm looking at your resume. Who in their right mind would hire you to do pharmaceutical sales? <laughs> that's what he says to me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you mean? I, you know, I'm good at sales. And he's like, look, Eric, what is it that you really want to do? I said, I want to make money. I want it. No, no, that's not what I asked you. What is it? And he just really challenged me. And I had to stop and think, you know, I really don't know. And, and that really, I, I had to go and think. And when I, during this process, I started to notice a pattern. I noticed that I always felt the most fulfilled when I was speaking to a group. I had a position where I was a corporate trainer. And I remember I used to think like, oh man, you know, I could just do this all day, every day. I can't believe people get paid to do this. And, and it, was, it always reverted back to public speaking. And so finally, after a little bit of procrastination, uh, I joined Toastmasters International. I said, at least I can do, it. I like to speak so I can just join the Toastmasters. And things just took off from there. I met someone who trained professional speakers. I took his course. And literally just like one idea he gave me paid for the course and, and I had money left over. Wow. And so I just kept going down the path. Somebody convinced me to do a international speech competition and I just kept winning and going through the different rounds. And so that was just kind of confirmation that I was on the right path. And that's literally how I got to where I am now. But it really, again, it's when I got challenged to really figure out what it is I wanted to do, it forced me to really take a step back. How old were you at that point in your life? Ooh. I was mid thirties. Yeah. Yeah. It took me to get into my forties to, <laughs> you know, like, I, I mean, granted, I, I found a place in the fire service and I was really good. Um, but 
I always knew that that wasn't a forever occupation. You know, you can't do that until you're old. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, you could be an administrator, but that's not where you have fun. You know, that's like, and you don't, I mean, in a indirect way, you affect the lives of the people of the community. But, you know, I went into the fire service to save lives, to help people on their worst day and, and like be in the action, be in the thick of it. Um, and so I really, I, I was passionate about leadership, but the end goal was to develop leaders that were passionate about helping the community and being like top of their game when they arrive on scene. You know, if they're not the first people on scene, they're the people that the first people on scene are looking to going, oh man, thank God they're here. You know, um, so that was that was really what drove me. And then when I was no longer in, in the fire service, that was the aha moment for me where I had to like do that deep dive and go, you know, what, you know, who am I, you know, what is, what is this all about? What, you know, what can I do where I can have that same passion and that same drive? And, you know, the reality is, is that leadership is leadership. And if you're, if you're helping people become better leaders, they're going to help others become better leaders, you know, and it's just to, to be able to have that kind of an impact. Um, I, I can tell that you got the bug because when you spoke, people listened and they were better for it. And like to this day, I have people reach out to me and you know, I don't know if you remember me, but I was in that class that you taught in, you know, 2008, but, and I still remember what you said and they'll tell me, and I'm like, Oh, it sounds like something I'd say. <laughs> yeah. That, that's amazing. And I mean, you just never know who you're impacting. And one of the things I learned from my Toastmasters experience is to just focus on like, so I, I'm a naturally competitive person. I just want to win. So when I start, when I'm doing these speech competitions, I'm, I want to win. I want the first place trophy. And it, it got to, it, was, it would get to a point sometimes, like if I didn't come in first place, it would almost ruin my weekend. And, and I would be upset. And I had a mentor who had won like the world championship of public speaking for Toastmasters. And he's this famous speaker. He, he would always tell me that it's not about the trophy. It, it's about the message. And your, your focus, Eric, has to be getting the message communicated to that person in a clear enough way that they can act on your message. If you get the trophy, you get the trophy. If you don't, you don't. And I remember at first being like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> You've won. Easy for you to say. But I found that to be 100% true. And like I, I take that lesson with me to this day. So even if it's a paid speaking engagement, my focus isn't oh man, I hope I can get this next one. My focus is really getting the message out there in a clear, concise way. And what happens is going to happen. And I think that was one of the lessons that I took away from that whole, that whole, that whole experience. What motivated you to write your book? I wanted to put a useful tool in people's hands about overcoming procrastination because one of my frustrations was a lot of the materials I was reading was a lot of the same information. It was a lot of cookie cutter stuff. It was, uh, 
you have to wake up at 3.30 a.m. and grind and be the early bird. If you don't, you're a loser. You have to check your email at 12 noon. But that, that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. And like, I think like there's some people like I talk about, we all have different circadian rhythms. Some people are morning people. Like I can wake up at four o'clock in the morning, not an alarm clock, but not everybody's wired that way. Some people get going later. Uh, and so I wanted to create a tool that no matter what your personality, your temperament, your circadian rhythm, you could find useful information to help you to overcome procrastination. The other thing that got me was that there were some of these books that are like 450 pages. If I'm a procrastinator, if I'm procrastinating, I'm not likely to sit down and go through a 450 page book. So yeah. I wanted to make, it, it's, it's 100 pages. There's a lot of activities and exercises. As a matter of fact, I'll, you, you'll notice in the book that I'll say, don't go to the next section until you finish this particular exercise. What are some of the exercises that you lay out in the book and and what are some of the tools that you, you hope to impart on the people that read your book? So one of the exercises, and I get a lot of feedback on this particular exercise, is when you're trying to figure out, like clarify your purpose, because that was always like a challenge for me. So I have people to do this exercise where it's your, it's your 90th birthday and you had to visualize who is there and what are they what are they saying about you? And, you know, and, and that, that's an, a way to get an idea of what, what you want to do and, and what you aspire to. But, you, you know, there's so several exercises where you're writing out things like that, um, or you're writing a letter to your, you know, a, a letter from, you know, a letter to your future self and, and those types of exercises. Hope I'm not being conceited by saying great minds think alike. Cause in my book, I do uh, something similar. <laughs> Interesting. But it's Interesting. Uh, the exercise is writing out your eulogy. Hmm. So you've, you actually write out two eulogies. One say, you, you know, you pass away today and your best friend is going to write, uh, you know, your eulogy for, for the funeral next week. What, what is he going to write? And then say you've lived a good life and you've achieved all the things that you want to achieve and you, you've lived a life of purpose and you, you pass away when you're 90 years old or, you know, however old you, you think you're going to make it to and somebody writes a eulogy for you what are they going to say then and that exercise for me I, I did it years ago um it it really I, it wasn't as powerful back then as it was when i did it a couple of years ago and i was like okay this is there's something to this because oh sure it, it, it really distills your actions, whether you see it or not, they are impacting other people and people are watching you, especially if you're in a leadership position or if just your, I don't know how you bring yourself to any situation. You know, like I can tell you've got this commanding presence, you know, people know you're there. 
And uh, when you have that, you also are in a position where people are looking at you and they're judging you for good or bad, but they're going to remember you. And what is it that we want them to remember us for? And, you know, because those are the things that we're writing in their hearts and in their minds today. So, so the main thing for me is those types of exercises, they help you to, it shifts your perspectives. There's a saying that it's hard to see the picture when you're stuck inside the frame, right? Yeah. It's so it's so easy to get caught in your day-to-day, right? You oh, I got to get up. I got to do this. I got to call this person. And, and you you lose that perspective of the bigger picture. And like, so one of the other things, and this is going to sound like morbid, but <laughs> I have this character. It's, it's, it's uh, Deathbed Eric. Yeah, I know. I know. It sounds bad. It, <laughs> I'm going somewhere with it. Trust me, right? right. So, so I have Deathbed Eric and... I, I weigh a lot of decisions. I'll ask deathbed Eric certain things, especially if it's a big thing. Like I, I'm always wondering, because a lot of times we think, oh, this is such a big chance. But when you're on your deathbed, you're, you're going to regret not taking certain chances. Like most people that, the people that are on their deathbed or getting old, and they get interviewed, they always talk about the chances they didn't take as opposed to the ones they took that didn't work out. Yeah. So I, I always say, well, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity. Should I take this opportunity? What would death Eric, what, 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 what would deathbed Eric tell me to do? That's pretty cool. I'm going to use that. I feel like I understand where you're going with this before you can really address procrastination. You've got to know what's important to you and what you're willing and capable of doing. And then then you can address, address the tasks at hand you want to <laughs> yeah I, I would say that i mean so I, and I one of the things i say is clarity is a starting point of success I, I think you really have to be clear on your purpose and where you're trying to go and that that'll alleviate a lot of procrastination if you're really clear and it also helps you I, i've dedicated a whole chapter of the book to saying no because i think it's just so important and if you're clear on where you're going and what you're doing it makes saying no to the wrong things much easier. Because if you're not clear, everything sounds like a good idea. It's like, oh, hey, you want to be the president of this? Sure. Hey, you want to chair this committee? Absolutely. (laughs) But if you're clear and you can say, well, okay, if I want to be this entrepreneur of an eight-figure company, let's say, how does this decision over here line up with that? Or if I want to be very present with my family, how does this decision line up with that? I think clarity is critical and a lot of a lot of procrastination stems from that lack of clarity. Tell me more. What's the next step? Well, it, so the book is designed to really heighten your awareness and, and pay attention to like patterns. Like I talk to people that say, oh, Eric, I, I always procrastinate with everything. No, you don't. No, I, I, I've yet to meet a person who procrastination in every area of their life right so I know people who they're on it when they're at home I mean they're on schedule they're on point they're never late with anything with the kids but then when they get to work that's a different story or vice versa I know people who tend to procrastinate on household projects but when it comes to business or work they're on point so it's, it's really about paying attention to what triggers you to procrastinate 
And you may need outside help from a mentor, from a coach, because everybody's got these little trigger points. And if you, if you replay the tape, you'll see it could like, cause the, the root cause of procrastination is discomfort, right? There's, there's some discomfort at the root that causes you just to delay. And it could be as simple as I just don't like doing it. Yeah, it could be just task aversion. I don't like doing my taxes. So I'm going to wait as long as I possibly can to do it. Uh, or it could be something else. It could be something that you're afraid of, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of criticism. So the big thing is really paying attention to the patterns um, that, that you, and the book helps to heighten your awareness to your patterns. Just this conversation, I'm recognizing certain things in my life. <laughs> and yeah, I, I am... Uh... I'm a pretty bad procrastinator. I, I don't procrastinate in everything, but it's um, like, if I don't have a deadline, I can push things off for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which doesn't bode well when you're working for yourself. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting you say that. Um, so a lot of people I work with, it helps them to make appointments with themselves. It's just a basic thing. You take your Google calendar. So instead of saying, I'm going to write a blog post this week, and then you get to Friday at five o'clock, you haven't written anything. You, you say, I'm going to write a blog post on Wednesday at one o'clock in my, in my office, in my home office. That's what I'm going to do. So you have to put the date, the time in the place. And the studies show that if you on your calendar, when you give yourself a deadline and you put the, the day, time and place, you're 40% more likely to follow through. You wrote your book. It, it came out in 2017. And I'm always curious about this because, you know, the official release of my book is October 11th. You know, I, I've had cases of the books um, that I'm selling on my website, but, you know, the publisher has established the official release date and that's when it'll be available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that, and in the bookstores. I'm curious as to how things changed for you after your book was available, you know, all over the world. So the biggest change is, let's say before the book, I would, you know, I'd, I'd talk to certain people and say, hey, you know, I can speak for your organization. Here's my topic. And so after the book, people would come to me and say, hey, can you speak to my organization? There was, there was kind of that, especially if, I, like if I'm out, let's say I'm at a trade show, or I'm doing something like that, or at a book signing, you know, people coming to me saying, hey, can you come speak to my school? Hey, I, so it, I think it gives you a, just a different level of, of credibility. And now I will say that it's not as life-changing as you think. I, I think it's, it's more of a hustle that, I mean, the, you really have to hustle and you just can't assume that people are just going to go on Amazon and just instantly buy your book. Yeah. And, and it, it also, it helps to really have a planned out strategy right from the very beginning. I mean, to really have, you know, a launch strategy, a review strategy, just to really have it planned out from the beginning. But no, it's, I, I tell you, it, it's a different thing when you, I, I know for me, like it was almost like an emotional day 
when they they'll send you like a you may have seen this already you know after you write the book they'll send you like a copy to proof yeah the, the first day when you have your book in your hand it's like oh my goodness <laughs> yeah. you see the cover you see your picture you're like oh wow you know yeah. that is like the the most exciting day that first time you have your book in your hand uh, as an author yeah I, I can't agree more um what it is for me now is I look forward to seeing my book on the shelf at Barnes and Noble, you know, um, or, you know, one day see it in the library. Yeah. What keeps you busy day in and day out? What, it, what is, what does your life look like right now? So um, I am the president of the What Now movement, and our mission is to help people to pivot when they face a challenge. And we, we actually started this uh, during the pandemic because we're running into so many people who would say, oh, yeah, I've got this idea uh, for this venture, but I'm going to wait until things get back to normal. And we say that that's the last thing you need to do. You need to be asking yourself, what now? So that's the what now movement that that's how that came to be. So our mission is to help people to pivot. We inspire people. Uh, we just had a virtual summit this past weekend uh, where we had keynote speakers. We had a panel discussion, uh, just really providing that awesome content. We've got a Facebook group, got what, 1700 plus people in it. Uh, we, we do master classes um, and I, you know, I continue to provide coaching services. So that's, that's my typical day. I'm the CEO of the what now movement and providing coaching to people and changing lives. Nice, man. So tell me a little bit about your podcast. Um, when did you start it up? What, what inspired you to start the podcast and what is it that you talk about? It's interesting. I heard a quote from Oprah the other day that just, I can't, get rid of it it's she said that you you always have to take action on those things that whisper to you and it was it, and for years people had been saying eric you should you should really start a park and i'm like ah i don't i don't need another thing to do and it was constantly i'd go to a national speakers association conference and they would say eric you should really think about starting a podcast i'm like eh. and so finally my business partner and good friend, Ted Fells and I were talking. And again, this idea of starting a podcast came up. And again, I'm like, eh. And, but at this time, he had, he had another marketing person in the room with him. And this guy named Gary. And he says, no, it's really simple. You can literally start a podcast from your phone now. And I said, okay, we'll give this a try. And I can't believe how much I love it. Yeah. Like, like I should have started years ago when everybody was trying to suggest that to me. So it was whispering to me all this time. So, so the podcast is titled the 30 minute hour and it's for entrepreneurs. We, it's personal development. We help them to level up so they can become unstoppable and we have guests. So, so we do several different things. So we have guests every week from around the world. I mean, we have Australia. I just was talking to somebody from Israel, uh, France, and then obviously the United States. So we, we interview guests. We also do a segment every Monday called Thank God It's Monday. 
So it's a quick five minute segment. We give you a quick dose of motivation to help you to attack your week. Um, and it's, we, we say it's not your everyday podcast because my co-host and I, we just, we crack jokes on each other. We, we have a lot of fun. We crack jokes with the guests, but at the same time, we want to leave people with action items that they can actually go back and implement in their business and in their lives. When I was researching you, uh, discovering how well your, your podcast is doing and has been doing, I mean, it's a credit to you and your, and your partner, like it's not, it's fun, but you really got to have a passion for it, you know, because yes. if you don't, it, you're not going to last. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you say that. I saw something that said the average podcast lasts anywhere from 14 to 24 episodes. Yeah. And yeah, we're on the episode number 175. And you're right. You, you do have to have a passion because you're not, you, you, at some point you realize that tomorrow you're not going to become Joe Rogan. <laughs> Right. we would all love to be <laughs> yeah. but, but for most of us like yeah i guess there's exceptions but for most of us you're not going to become joe rogan overnight right but now you can i think you can build up a sizable audience um but I, but i definitely so for me it's like when i do a podcast i can tell this you're this way too like i am genuinely interested in people's story yeah i, I really like well i'm not just asking a question to go through the motions when i ask a question I honestly want to know the answer. And I'm really curious as to how this person got to where they are and what the backstory is. And what are the lessons for the listeners that are going to help them to elevate? I think it helped. Like you said, I think you, you have that passion. It only helps. Yeah. I didn't come across this in anything that I read about you, but I just get a sense listening to you talk. Um, really the things that are important to you, I, I would say that you're most likely a family, a family man. Like, I am. So um, how long have you been married? Good question. I, I've been married for 15 years. Yeah, we got married in 2007. And so one of the things for me, I, I'm your, I'm your typical type A personality, right? I, I can just keep working. Yeah. I can just, I can just go and I haven't always been as present for the family as I, I've, I've, I'm trying to be more intentional, especially over the last year, you know, I've been really focusing on being more intentional and get like, I have my daughter is 12. Uh, I have a son who's nine years old and I don't want, yeah, I don't know if you ever remember, there's a song called the cats in the cradle yeah. where, you know, the, the, the dad was always busy and the son wanted to be with him. And then later, dad got older and wanted to be with the son and the son was now busy and said, Hey, I'm just like you are dad type, type thing. I'm yeah. trying to avoid that. Yeah. So I just, I try, I do try to be intentional when it comes to family time and scheduling certain things just to spend time with them. I think that's, that's really important. 20 years from now, your, your son and daughter discover this episode. What lesson do you hope they've learned by watching you over the last 20 years? I, I think they, they need to understand the effort and focus that's required 
to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Like I hope, like, like with my dad, you know, it wasn't so much that he, he would always say, Eric, you've got to do this. There were times he did that, but the biggest things, like there's a saying that, you know, a lot of times more things are caught than taught, meaning that they're, they're watching you. Yeah. They, so I, I would hope they would watch and learn from my work ethic and, you know, the consistency and being resilient when things don't go as planned and making sure that you, you're clear on your plan. So just really focusing on just that. And I, like, I'm not even caught up in the, do they have to do exactly what I'm doing? I mean, now I want them to follow their path, but make sure they understand it's not going to just come to you. Like, again, we talked about the book, you know, you don't just put your book out there and everybody just flies to it. You, there's some things that you have to actually, you know, you have to work it and be di diligent and disciplined. So that, that's what I hope they, they get from me. I always like to, to talk to fathers and, and even mothers, especially, so I have a 15 year old daughter. It says a lot about somebody. And especially like when you're talking about leadership, how they lead their children, you know, and what do they focus on with their child's development? Um, and it's just interesting because people that are engaged it's typically like you, where you hope that they learn from your example. Yeah, it's really, really powerful. And uh, I, I try and pick up little nuggets from parents, especially parents of, of girls, you know, because life isn't easy for women, you know, uh, no, no, like I have a daughter, she's 12. So one of the things that I think helps too is I, I try to, especially with my daughter, acknowledge them just for who they are and not based off of their result or output. So I think that gives you confidence. And I think that that's something that's probably helped me that my parents, no matter what, if I got great grades, if my grades weren't that hot, it was still, you had this sense that you can, you know, you can still do it. We love you. And, and I think I, you, I try to do that with my kids just to acknowledge them, you know, as a person yeah. and, and, you know, Hey, no matter what, I, I still love you. And you tell them that all the time. So they have that internal sense of confidence that they go out into the world with. Yeah. I've had multiple conversations with, you know, mental health professionals, sociologists, you know, social workers, things like that, where there is uh, a, there's a difference in the way girls and boys are raised. And I, I mean, I know that I've done it, you know, and I, I caught myself being, you know, overprotective, like, oh, wait, don't do that. Here, I'll do it for you. And, you know, boys, I think we're a lot more likely to go, eh, he probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> Let's see how this goes for him. <laughs> but that there with that trial and error and failure, I think you learn a lot of lessons and you can gain confidence and, and learn what you're capable of. And sure. so 
so that's one of the things that I've I've tried to like really you know as much as I don't want to see her fail there's I think there's some lessons to be learned when when she wants to push forward when she wants to do something and do it on her own like even if I think she might not make it all the way like I'm going to be there supporting her and I'll be there to give her a hand up when she falls you know but um I really have to be conscious of doing things for her because like, I mean, she's my, she's my pride and joy, you know, I would do anything for her, but I want to set her up for success. And I want her to have that confidence to not be afraid to try new things, to put yourself out there and, and really make an effort. I can't thank you enough for, for coming on and uh, for those listening, how would people connect with you? How, how do they employ your services and what's the best place for them to get your book? So you can visit my website, ericmtwigs.com, E-R-I-C-M-Twigs, T-W-I-G-G-S.com. And you can pick up a copy of the book, The Discipline of Now, 12 Practical Principles, to overcome procrastination they can get the podcast the 30 minute hour podcast it's on apple Podcasts, spotify and all those places that you would consume content but yeah if certainly they want to reach out to me the website is the, the best place to do that all right awesome well i will have a link to your website in the show notes and uh before we go do you have any parting words yeah if i had some parting words it would be don't allow perfect to become the enemy of progress. A lot of times we're afraid to move forward because we figure, oh, I don't have it all figured out. Yeah, I don't know everything about the engineering of a podcast, so I can't start. But there, there's always that small step you can take in the direction. There's always someone that you can call who's already done it. There's always a Google search you can do. So that, that would be my thing. Don't allow perfect to become the enemy of progress. You don't have to have it all figured out. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Eric. I really appreciate you taking the time with me. Thank you for having me. Now, this has been excellent. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.